Hi everyone, I'm Kiana, and I'd like to welcome you to Toronto Nature Now, brought to you by CJRU, 1280 AM in Toronto, and the Toronto Field Naturalists. The Toronto Field Naturalists are a volunteer-run, non-profit nature conservation organization, connecting people with nature and wildlife in the Toronto area. Today I'm joined by Julianne Labreche, who's here to talk about wildlife gardening. Julianne is a master gardener and a master naturalist. So, hi, how are you doing? Hi, Ken, I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. Well, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> and so today you're going to talk about wildlife gardening. And so my first question is, what is a wildlife garden? Well, that's an interesting question uh, because it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different. A wildlife garden, it, it's, it steps away from being strictly an ornamental garden or an edible garden, and it moves closer to the natural world. It introduces some different plant and, and habitat elements designed to welcome wildlife. Generally, a wildlife garden has a, a it has a range of biodiversity, both flora and fauna, with the focus on on native plants. I should probably add that any garden, I think, reflects the personality of the gardener who cares for it. So in my garden, it's all about birds and bees and butterflies and other pollinators and insects as well as the mammals who come to the garden. Wow, yeah, that's really interesting. So you mentioned a little bit about your own garden, but is there anything else you want to say about your own wildlife garden? Well, I can describe it a little bit if you'd like. I, I have a modest home in the suburbs. It was built back in the 60s. When we moved into our home, it had mainly turf grass in the front and backyard. So over the years, we've done a lot of work on our outside spaces. I created a pollinator garden in the front yard, and it's basically replaced the turf grass entirely. There's not a blade of grass left. In the backyard, I, I designed a garden for the birds, and I see a lot of small mammals there too. I think it's interesting that these two spaces really have their own feel and style. The, the front yard is bright and sunny. It's full of uh, native grasses and flowers. The backyard is shady, so it has lots of trees and shrubs and perennials and ground covers. It was planted to attract wild birds. They like the shelter of that shady space. Both spaces are designed to provide habitat and food and water and safe nesting places for wildlife. That's really great. What kind of wildlife do you see? Um, I see a variety of birds. Uh, I see um, mammals, including your usual uh, squirrels and raccoons and skunks. I've seen a couple of foxes. A uh, coyote passes through once in a while. So it's a uh, because it's um it's an open space. So the uh, animals can basically travel from garden to garden. Oh right. So are there a few basic principles to wildlife gardening? There are. When I designed the gardens, I gave some thought to three aspects of wildlife gardening, and let me just describe them briefly. So when I think about wildlife gardening, I think about temporal biodiversity 
And by that, I mean creating a habitat for wildlife across all four seasons of the year, not just one or two. When I think about wildlife gardening, I also think about vertical biodiversity. In other words, considering plants that would grow vertically at a variety of levels uh, to attract wildlife. So a tiered garden um, from big tall plants to ground covers and all the plants in between. And finally, I also think about horizontal biodiversity. I talked earlier about how I got rid of a lot of the turf grass. And so I've had to work to design a, a garden to fill those empty spaces. But you know, I think generally when, when the kind of garden you have, it's going to depend in part on the kind of wildlife that you hope to attract. So my front garden has lots of plants for the bees and the butterflies, different kinds of milkweeds and herbs and flowering nectar plants and host plants. The backyard, it has shrubs and trees with nuts and seeds and fruit bushes and fresh water, all to attract those backyard birds. Right. That seems like such a big variety. And I'm just wondering, is it very hard to upkeep? Um, actually, it's not. Um, I tend to pride myself on being what's called a, I basically, I, 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 I like to think of myself as a lazy gardener. Um, there is some work involved. There's no doubt about it. But, but it's a different kind of work. So um, the upkeep really isn't as much as you might think. There was some initially to actually get it organized, to get it planted, um, all the planning involved. But after that, it pretty well runs on its own. Well, that's good. I imagine there's a lot of planning, but I think it's, it's cool that it runs on its own. So why create a wildlife garden? Well, for a few reasons. I think a wildlife garden is beautiful in its own way. It supports a variety of wildlife including some species that are under threat or endangered. The second reason is I like wildlife gardening because there's always something different in the garden to observe. So I'm learning a lot, not just about native plants, but about different species of birds and bees and butterflies and insects. It seems to me at least endlessly fascinating, no matter the season. And there's a third reason, too. Uh, you asked me earlier about the upkeep. Well, I do think that wildlife gardening encourages a more laid-back approach to gardening. Wildlife gardeners, for example, are encouraged to leave the leaves and not rake them up. We don't cut back our perennial plants in the fall, which is the traditional way of doing things. But instead, uh, I like to leave the stems and the stalks and the seeds because native bees will overwinter in those plant stems and the non-migratory birds, they're going to use those seed heads as food. And there's less mowing too because there's less grass. And native plants too, they're generally pretty tough, so, so they don't require quite as much maintenance. So lots of reasons to think about a, a garden for wildlife. For sure. And are there any special considerations in creating a wildlife garden? A few. I think like any good uh, garden design, it's important to uh, do some research um, 
and uh, check too, maybe around local bylaws, just to make sure you're not breaking any rules, such as putting down maybe some hardscaping boards or bricks or rocks on city property. Um, those are certainly some, some considerations. I think too, it helps to have a chat with the neighbors. I, I did that. I told them what my plans were. Uh, bylaws are complaint driven usually. And so I think good communication is important, is, especially if you plan on doing something a little different. Uh, my garden certainly has a different look because of the grass, say, that's been removed. But, you know, the other special consideration uh, is that I think it's useful to um, also maintain the garden to some degree, and, and that does involve doing some weeding. I, I think a wildlife garden should be pleasing to the eye for anyone passing by, especially a front yard, um, trimming it and cleaning up the edges of the garden. I think that's very useful. In fact, there's there's even a term for that. It's, it's called mullet gardening. And the term is taken from an old hairstyle, the mullet cut. It was short on the front and the sides and long at the back. And I think the same concept works for a wildlife garden too, to make sure the garden has that kind of neat front, front edge, side edge appearance. And then the bigger plants, the things growing at the back, they tend not to look too untidy. You know, I, I'll add a couple of more uh, details if I could, and that's that I, I think maybe adding some garden art or a sign to identify it as a certified wildlife garden is, is a great idea because it shows the neighbors that even though your garden may look a little different, it, it's still really beautiful in its own way. Finally, I guess I'll, I'll add, uh, it's important to avoid putting in any invasive, um, non-native plants. Invasive plants can really spread and take over. And of course, you really want to avoid using chemicals, including pesticides. Those could really be harmful. Yeah, those for sure. Those are really good examples and considerations. I especially like the mullet <laughs> cut. It's it's good imagery. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure you're uh, old enough to remember the mullet, but I, I do. <laughs> I think it's coming back in style, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> so um, are there any downsides to creating a wildlife garden? I suppose one downside is that it's probably going to take some work, at least initially. It's going to involve removing the turf grass, at least some of the turf grass. And I think it should involve a plan. Um, so you'll have the right plants in the right place and they won't need to be moved. Like any gardener, you're gonna to want to study your property, ask yourself questions like, you know, what parts are in sun versus shade? What's the soil like? Is the area a dry or wet? And you'll need to know a little about the shape and the size of those plants that you plan to put in, especially trees, because they take up a lot of space over time. So there's no doubt there's going to be a, some planning and some work involved, at least initially. I think that's quite fun, um, especially over the cold winter months when uh, that's a really good time to plan a garden. And um, if I just could add one more point, I, I do think that there's going to be some maintenance too. You can't just leave a garden to, to, to 
grow on its own. Um, there's probably going to be some watering, especially during those really hot spells. Uh, and maybe some pruning. If you have shrubs or trees, you're going to want to at some point probably split the plants if you have perennials. The key really is that a garden is a living thing. So it's going to need some editing once in a while. Every garden requires a, a little attention, even a wildlife garden that tends to be, uh, well, a little bit on the wild side. <laughs> yes, thank you. From what you were saying, there's a bit of preparation and planning. So how can listeners learn more about creating a wildlife garden of their own? I think one idea might be to try to certify your garden with a nature or wildlife organization, such as, say, the Canadian Wildlife Federation or maybe Monarch Watch. It's a good way to get started because when you certify your garden, you're, you're learning as you go. You're, you have to fulfill some criteria and that way you can learn more about which specific plants and growing requirements will, will be useful. So my gardens are certified and, and I, I certainly found that a, a good starting point. Right. That's a good idea. I didn't even know you could get certified <laughs> for a garden. Yeah, you can. And uh, you get to uh, uh, put up your sign afterwards that's, that um, lets the world know that uh, you have a certified garden. Mm -hmm. And so what's the best part of wildlife gardening for you? Well, for me, I think the best part is that it feels like I have a little bit of the country and the city. Uh, my garden is, it's its relaxing. I can sit, I can unwind, I can watch the, the critters um, or uh, just uh, do some reading while listening to the sound of the birds. But yeah, I've always loved country life and yet I live in the city. So it, it really helps me to connect with my um with my local ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. I know before you mentioned that you can, I guess, read someone by how their garden looks. So I was wondering what you think your garden says about you. Well, I'm not a very wild person, so I can't say that I would connect that way. But I think it just tells me that, you know, like a lot of people, I, I care about the environment. Um, for me, my garden is a, a really safe place where I can connect and do a little bit of rewilding, you know, go back in time a little bit to um, a time when lots of animals and lots of birds and lots, lots of insects inhabited our land. It sounds really nice, like um, escapism. I think so. At least it, uh, it, it makes me feel in my own small way as if I'm making a difference. I think you are too. So that's really all I have to ask. So thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me along. Thanks again to Julie and the Brush for talking with me today. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Anyone out there who'd like to get involved with the Toronto Field Naturalists can visit their website at torontofieldnaturalists.org. Again, that's torontofieldnaturalists.org. Shout out to Paul Overy, the show coordinator, and once again, I'm Kiana for CJRU, and this has been Toronto Nature Now. Make sure to tune in next time.